Hey, we're we're back. Sorry about that. We just are having difficulties with uh, with Facebook. But let me take you back to what I was saying. I was sharing with you. I'm doing this out of a devotional psalter. All this is is just the Psalms in here. And uh, I'm taking my notes in this so that one day I'll just leave this to one of my grandkids. So I'll I'll do this and I'll get another one maybe next year and work through it the same kind of way. So take your copy of God's Word, go with me to Psalm 7, uh, and let me give you let me give you the overall theme of this song, uh, this psalm, which really is a song in Hebrew. Uh, David sings this. Uh, the overall theme of Psalm 7, this psalm of lament, is trust in God liberates you from having to defend yourself. Now, let me say that again. Trust in God liberates you from having to defend yourself. This psalm is about David being slandered. Now, let me just begin with the inscription that is there, that is in the Hebrew text. So if you look up at the very top of the psalm, you'll see these words, a shigayon. Now, we're not certain what a shigayon is. We think it is a musical term that David used. The word itself means to be frantic or or to be sung wildly. Uh, it's, It's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of wailing before God, of pouring your heart out before God. And we think that that is a term that indicates to the music guy, to the music director, um, how this psalm is to be sung. Um, you, you know, you've heard songs that are kind of a wailing type of song. Well, that's what it was. Now, listen to this. A shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord. Now, I happen to <clears throat> believe that <clears throat> probably that night that he was... Uh, run out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom, uh, by this betrayal, by this uh, takeover, this seizing of his throne. I think this is something he probably just poured out of his heart uh, before God. This was what he was, this was what he was singing. Uh, a Shigan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words. This, this was <clears throat> Psalm three, the first lament that we that we read, was him fearing for his life. You know, his life was under attack. Now, who he is personally is under attack, and that's what he's singing about here. That's what's distressing to him here is that someone now has slandered him. Who was it? Well, the inscription here tells us. It was concerning the words of Cush. Now, we don't know who Cush was. Um, Saul's father was Kish. So it could be a play on Kish. It could have been Saul. Um, I, I, I te- I'm going to show you who I think it is. The word Cush is oftentimes, I think, misunderstood. I really think that Cush was speaking of an internal character or the lack of internal character. I think that Cush was a reference. uh, In fact, the word seems to indicate somebody who is purposefully misleading, purposefully um, telling lies, someone who is purposefully being 
who is untrustful. So I think that's the concept there. I think it's a description of who a person is at their heart. Someone who is willingly and defiantly misleading other people. Now, I'm going to take you to who I think it is. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, uh, put your finger there in Psalm 7. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 16. David is fleeing now. And he comes to a place called uh, Bahurim. And there in Bahurim, there is uh, a man of the family of Saul. Now, you have to remember, Saul was a Benjamite. And when Saul was killed and David became prominent in his leadership, uh, the tribe of Benjamin was very much opposed to David because they wanted the throne. They thought that another Benjamin, uh, a Benjamite, uh, should sit on the throne of David, uh, on, on the throne of Israel. And so they were upset. And there is a guy there by the name of Shemaiah the son of Gera, who came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Now, here I am, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. He's got his mighty men on his right hand and on his left hand, all of his retinue. They're hearing this. They're hearing what this man says. Verse seven, then Shemaiah said when he cursed, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. His implication was you're a murderer, you're a rebellion, you were the one who ultimately killed Saul. So get out of here. We don't want you here. We want you gone. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into, into the hand of your son, Absalom. So you see the slander and everybody's hearing the slander. Now that's the part that hurts David more than anything else. And behold, you are taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my Lord, the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. (laughs) You just got to love these guys. But the king said, what have I to do with you, O son of Zerah? In other words, oh, come on, buddy. Don't don't do that. If he curses and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say? Why have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of cursing this day. He says, listen, I don't know that God hadn't told him to do this. I I, I don't know. David was essentially confessing, I've done some wrong things in my life. I've done some things that were not right. I've done some things that were out of God's will for my life. He's not saying anything that probably isn't really true. Although in this matter, I'm innocent. I did not kill Saul. I could have killed Saul on two occasions, but David said, I didn't, I didn't do it. You, you men were there. You saw it. He was in my hands on two different occasions and you encouraged me. If you go back and look at this, when he was in the cave at Engedi, the men told him at Engedi, listen, the Lord's given him into your hand. Do it. David would not do it. He wouldn't touch him. So David and his men went on the way and Shema went along the hillside parallel him. Now here's David and his men right along. 
Shemaiah is up on this hillside and he's looking down and he's cursing him and he's throwing rocks at him. He went along on the hillside, parallel him, and as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary and he refreshed himself there. I think it's in this where David pours out his heart uh, to God. I think this is where Psalm 7 probably came from is in this moment. Now, let me show you in the Psalm, there are five movements in the Psalm. Verse one and verse two is David putting his trust that God is his refuge. God is David's refuge, verse one and verse two. That's what's being said. Oh Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Now notice this, right off, David turns to God and says, you're my refuge. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going out and I'm gonna justify myself. I'm going out and I'm gonna prove how right I am. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna take vengeance on this guy. I'm gonna vindicate myself. He does not do it. He pulls his emotions back. He pulls his feelings back and he says, God, I'm gonna let you handle this. You're my refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion, they tear my soul apart. That is what slander does to the person who is slandered. The person who is slandered feels like the slanderer is ripping his life apart. Have you ever been slandered against? I have. (laughs) Has anybody ever spoken slander against you? Then you know what David is saying here. It feels like they're just ripping me apart piece by piece. They go after this piece of my life. They go after this piece of my life. They go after this piece of my life until they are, look at what he says, rending it in pieces with none to deliver until there's nothing left of me. The slanderer has ripped me to pieces until there's nothing left of my life. Now, let me tell you, I I can promise you pastors can identify with this in a very real way. Maybe you're a pastor out there and your life has been hurt by someone who has slandered you. And you feel like everybody's heard it and you feel like your life has been torn completely apart. Your ministry has been torn completely apart. You feel as if you have been discredited before the entire world, especially when they do it on social media. Put the matter into God's hands. God is your refuge. That's the good part at the very beginning. There's a good part at the end as well, so let's just go ahead with uh, verse 3, 4, and 5. That's the second part, and that is God is David's judge. David comes and he says, God, I recognize you're, you're the judge. You're the ultimate judge here. Now, notice three ifs. If this were in Greek, if I were doing this in the, and I've not looked at the Septuagint on this, you've got these three causal statements here, these three if statements here. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done this, what this guy has said about me, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Now, I want you to listen and understand 
David isn't putting blinders on to his own sin. That's not what he's doing here. David isn't saying, hey, I'm, I'm as innocent as the, you know, as a baby. I'm as pure as the driven snow. He's not saying that. But he's saying in this situation, I didn't do this. In this situation, I'm not, I'm not guilty of what I'm being slandered for. I'm not guilty of the lies that are being told about me. He says, if I am, he says, then let the enemy have, have his way with me. Let him pursue me and overtake me at this point. Let him trample my life to the ground and let my glory, let whatever glory I have, let it just be in the dust. So what he's coming here and doing is he's saying, God, you're the judge. And I'm going to let you judge in this. Because I know in my heart, I'm guilty of a lot of things, but what they are accusing me of, I am not guilty of. Now he comes to the third part. Here's the third part. It begins in verse 6, and it goes through uh, verse 9. 6, 7, 8, 9, God is David's vindicator. Now watch this. He's going to, he's going to use three synonyms here. It, what he's going to do is he's, he's going to ask God to do something, and he's going to say it in three ways, which is beautiful Hebrew poetry. It's Hebrew parallelism. He says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Three times he says, Get up, get up, get up. Arise, lift up yourself, awake. What he's saying is this. Uh, he says, God, you wake up in your anger and you confront the anger of my enemies. You confront the anger of this man who is slandering me. He says, at the heart of a slanderer is an angry spirit. At the heart of, an, uh, of uh, someone who lies is an angry spirit. He says, God, you arise in your anger and you confront the anger of the person who is lying and slandering me. Well, he says in verse seven, he says, God, do this. Bring everybody around. Bring the entire assembly. Bring the whole church around, God. Bring the whole nation around. When you judge this, you bring everybody around, you gather everybody as you judge between me and this slanderer. You judge between me and this person who is lying against me. Now, David realizes, look, I'm going to be judged too. I've not done everything right. I've not been perfect. I've not been pure. Verse eight, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is within me. He's, again, not putting blinders on to the fact that he has sinned, but he's saying, Lord, in this situation, you know my heart. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Now, I don't know if you've picked that up, but verse 8, he starts with this thing, O Lord, according to my righteousness, he uses this word repeatedly. Righteousness, verse 9, righteous. And at the end of verse 9, righteous. God is righteous. He's saying, God, you're going to be righteous. He's saying that in this situation, I am not 
wrong. I'm not guilty of this. You're a righteous judge. You're going to judge my life at this point. Now, here is the issue, and and this is what I'm going to begin to introduce to you here because he's going to introduce it. I have to be patient for God to work in these situations. That is the hard part. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 10, verse 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, what you come to is the fourth part of this psalm, and it is this, God is David's Savior. Now, let me go back and give you that. God is David's refuge. God is David's judge. God is David's vindicator. And now God is David's Savior. Um, he's no longer praying for vindication. He's, he's praying now And he is saying, God, you're the one who saves me. You're in the midst of saving me. This saving is uh, already beginning to take place. You see this shift. He's no longer asking for deliverance. He is now acknowledging that God is his salvation. Look at verse 10. My shield is with God. In other words, he's saying, God is my shield. Do you remember chapter, do you remember Psalm 3 where David said, um, the Lord is my shield. He's my shield. Um, he's saying the same thing here. He's coming back and he's making that statement. My shield is with God, or in other words, God is my shield who saves the upright in heart, in heart. God is a righteous judge. He comes back to that again. And a God who fills indignation every day. I think the King James says there that God is angry with sinners every day. Um, God hates sin and he hates sin all the time. Uh, let me, I've got, for some reason, I have marked a verse here in, in, by the Psalm and it's Isaiah 41 verse 10. Let me just read that. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's why I put that there, because this is exactly what David is saying right here. God is my protector. God is the one who is saving me. God will save me. And God has saved me. All three tenses right there. Well, look at verse 12. If a man does not repent, now he's going to turn to the man who has slandered him. And he says, if a man does not repent, now look at what he does. He's going to talk about God's weapons. And then he's going to talk about the man's wickedness. Here he comes and he says, if a man doesn't repent, he's going to face the judgment of God. Here are the three weapons of God. God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Three things that he says there, the Lord's sword, the Lord's bow, and the Lord's fiery arrows. Um, Again, that is Hebrew poetry, and it is a way of describing all of the weapons that are available to God. He's saying God has a multiplicity of ways that he can bring judgment on a man's life. Um, you, you know, it's not for me to say, um, but there are many, many, many things that happen to us 
uh, that may be the touch of the finger of God's judgment in our lives um, in, in order to bring us to repentance. Do you understand that's what judgment is for? Judgment is to bring us back to repentance. Um, that may be what's going on with this old world right now is God's giving us one more opportunity as a world, especially the Christian world, to repent of where we have gone, how far we have gone away from God, uh, to turn us around to say, God, we do repent. This could be, I don't know, and I don't, I don't mind saying this, but this very well could be uh, God's attempt to bring uh, us back to himself before the great outpouring of wrath on this world. So he comes and he says, that's what he has. He has judgment for the man who won't repent. Now he's going to come and he's going to show you the man's wickedness. God's weapons, uh, verse, uh, verse 12 and verse 13, now man's wickedness. Behold the wicked man. Now watch it how he says this. It's kind of interesting. God had, he had three things to say about God's weapons. Now he has three things to say about man's wickedness. He comes and he says, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, is pregnant with mischief. That is, he is full with mischief, full of mischief, and gives birth to lies. He conceives evil, pregnant, full with mischief, and gives birth to lies. In the wicked man, he sits there and he just concocts these plans that are evil. He swells up with all this mischief and then he gives birth to lies. He starts the slander. He starts the lies. And then look at what it says he does. He makes a pit. This, all the other was internal. Now you come to the external and here it is. He's telling the lies. He's digging a pit. He's digging it out is what he says. He makes a pit digging it out. Now look, here is what eventually happens. You got the internal, the external, the eventual. Let me tell you what my mama used to say. Your chickens will come home to roost. He falls into the hole that he has made. That's what happens to liars. They lie so much that they fall into the lies that they've told. My dad used to say, if you tell a lie, you got to tell three more to cover up the one you told. Uh, it, there is no end to it. It goes on and on and on until you eventually have fallen into the, the hole of lies that you have dug. His mischief, now here's your chickens coming home to roost. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull, his violence descends. That's one of the many weapons of judgment God has, and that is he will eventually let your own sin deal with you. Wow. Now, here you come to the fifth part, and it's verse 17, and it's God's worthy praise. I will give to the Lord the thanks due his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Now, let me just tell you briefly what David has said here. David has said essentially this. I've got to wait on God. God's going to have to take care of this. Courts can't take care of it. Lawyers can't take care of it. Judges can't take care of it. 
I'm going to have to sit back and I'm going to have to let the Lord take care of it. And let me tell you, I wonder, I almost wonder if David did not have in mind Psalm 105, if he didn't have in mind the life of Joseph. Joseph had to wait on the deliverance of God. He had to be patient and wait and let God vindicate him, let God deliver him. He was sold, you know, his brothers took him, threw him in a pit. Where's God and all of that? He has to wait on God. They sold him into the hands of the Midianites who took him down into Egypt. Where was God? He had to just wait on God. He gets down there. Pharaoh buys him, puts him as a slave in his house. He has to wait. He's waiting through all of this. Potiphar's wife, uh, you know, makes a play for him. He runs out of the house. She rips the coat off of him. And she is so angry that she is going to lie against him. This this kid you brought in this house has tried to rape me. And Potiphar, Potiphar knows he's, he's not guilty, but Potiphar has to throw him in jail anyway. Where's God in all of this? And he has to wait. He has to wait. All of this, his life, the more he waits on God, the worse his situation gets. The more he waits on God, the deeper into the pit he goes. Until at some point, if it were me, I think I would break and say, God, I'm, I'm tired. It, it seems like the more I follow you, the more the slander is, the more the lies are, the deeper into this dark pit I go. Listen to what it says here about uh, Joseph. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. What, he, what, had, what had Joseph said? He says, I saw all of your sheaves bow down to my sheaf. God, when is this going to happen? When is this going to take place? When, when, when is all of this going to come about? He had to wait for God to bring it about. There's the cupbearer and the baker who come in and he interprets the dream for them. And you remember what happens. And he says, please remember me when you get out of here. And um, I think it's the baker who gets out of there and he goes back and, uh, or is it the cupbearer? Maybe it's the cupbearer that gets out and goes back. And Pharaoh has a dream. He has to wait through all that. They've forgotten Joseph. Joseph did all that good for them and they forgot it. All the good that you do, you know, what does it say? Uh, what, what is it that uh, Shakespeare says? Uh, for those that die, he said, the good is interred with them, buried with them. And, you know, what they did wrong lives on after. Well, <clears throat> they forgot him. They forgot the good that he had done until Pharaoh has a dream. And they go back to the prison. They say, hey, you got a guy here who told me a dream. And they go to Joseph, get ready, come on here to Pharaoh, tell him what this dream is. The king sent and released him, and the ruler of the people set him free and made him lord of his house. I bet you it was not 30 minutes that he went from the pit to the palace. And I wonder if David was not thinking about that back here in Psalm 7. And he says, you know what? There's no real justice in this world. I'll just have to wait on God to do it, to bring it. But he says, in the meantime, this is what I'll do. And this is my last word to you. In the meantime, you just wait on the Lord. I will give to the Lord the thanks to his righteousness. You'll discover 
that in the midst of being slandered and lied about, when you feel like everybody has heard the slander and everybody now believes the lies, that if you'll just praise God in the middle of that, that all of that slander and all of those lies will begin to dissipate. Leave it to God to handle. That's a good word. God bless.